Hello, folks. Welcome to Courtside Wellness. I'm your host, Brandon St. Croix, former athlete and current sports social worker. On today's episode, we're joined by Alex Adbeck, Senior Director of Player Development and Wellness for the Toronto Raptors and host of the podcast Unfair Advantage with his co-host, Cody Royal. On today's episode, Alex joins us to talk about his own experience as a sports psychologist, his work within the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and the NCAA. Thank you, enjoy, and stay well. And folks, we're back with our special guest, Dr. Alex Adbeck, Senior Director of Wellness and Development for the Toronto Raptors and host of the Unfair Advantage podcast. Thanks, Alex, for joining us here today, Courtside Wellness. Yeah, Brandon, excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it there. Your experience has ranged from Division One sports through the NBA, NFL, MLB, USA Olympic team. So tell us a bit about yourself and how you, you progressed through all those steps. Yeah, so I guess by way of trade and training, I'm a counseling and performance psychologist. I got my PhD in counseling psychology with what you might consider like a double major in performance psychology, and then started my career working in an athletic department in the U.S. at the University of Arizona, where I did my undergrad training and ultimately ended up leading the mental health and mental performance services there. Um, While I was there, ended up having the opportunity to work with some athletes who would go on to become Olympians, do some contract work with a couple Olympians, um, and get my feet wet in sort of the Olympic space, which was really pretty cool. Um, A couple years into that, I was just fortunate enough to have the opportunity to join the NBA's Toronto Raptors. I've been here for about three and a half years. And during the time that I've been here, I've also had the opportunity to do some kind of unique things, Um, go down to Fort Bragg and work with some Green Berets and elite military units, continue obviously to work with incredible performers in the NBA um, and and stuff like that. So it's been a a winding path a bit to get here, um, but it's been really pretty cool and and, uh, really awesome to learn from these different folks in different sectors and see how high performance comes about in all these different spaces. So when you started at the University of Arizona, was it with the intention or idea around connecting psychology and sports or did that kind of come to be unexpectedly? Definitely unexpectedly for me. So I actually, I was a business management undergrad and had my eyes set on becoming a college football coach. That was like my first career goal. And then when I got into coaching, realized that what I really gravitated toward was the relationship with players and what they were dealing with off the court. And it was sort of like, huh, this is, this is kind of interesting. Like this off field stuff is where I'm spending a ton of time. And I I find it really valuable and interesting. Like what does it look like to have more of that in my day to day and sort of stumbled into performance psychology and sports psychology and was fortunate enough to have a mentor sort of say, Hey, you know, I try to go the counseling route where you can get a clinical license. And then you could also learn this performance stuff. And uh, put me in, you know, a really good position to end up in a role like the one I have now. Um, but I would say it wasn't until maybe four years into my coaching journey or five years into my coaching journey where I started to really connect the off-field stuff with on-field performance and see the intersection with psychology. And then um, as I learned more about the field, it was like, you know, this is absolutely where I need to spend my time. And just being able to kind of see that, you know, perspective of it, which again is still emerging and growing over the past decade, we've seen so, so many changes there as well. And you talked about being able to have a leadership role at the University of Arizona. So what did that look like for yourself during that time? Yeah, I think, you know, as a psychologist working 
in leadership, I mean, part of your responsibility is to think about how you move the entire organization forward and infuse well-being and principles of psychology into everything we do. And so that ranged from things like writing policies and procedures all the way to consulting with administrators and helping them think through unique behavioral challenges the same way that I I do in Toronto. Um, you know, it's just a, an opportunity to really become a more psychologically informed organization, um, which I've been, you know, incredibly fortunate to be involved in those conversations and, and have the opportunity to shape the way people operate and think about high performance and well-being overall. And I'm sure people are curious and interested there as well. When we talk about Director of Wellness and Development, what does that look like on a day-to-day thing? Because oftentimes when people watch the NBA, they see the game, see the coaching staff on the bench, but that's as much as people see and probably think about as well. Yeah, on a daily basis, I guess it looks like individual work with players, coaches, and staff, thinking about their high performance. It looks like meeting with other staff members to think about how I can help them optimize their well-being. It looks like just being available and being a resource to people to troubleshoot things in the moment. No two days are the same, but it's it's my responsibility really to constantly be thinking about how can I make our organization as healthy and high-performing as possible and what would that look like, ranging from, you know, small system-wide changes to, you know, deep individual work with the people who are part of our organization. And it goes back to your expertise around wellness, performance under pressure, mindset training, and being able to incorporate all those aspects into the whole organization, it sounds as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've spent some time trying to kind of flush out my model and what I think, you know, everyone needs to sort of be their healthiest and highest performing. Um, And so now that I feel really grounded in that, you know, it is my job to now try to bring that forward and kind of you know, move that through the organization as much as possible, right? Ultimately, people can perform well if they don't feel well. And so my responsibility is sort of help bridge that gap and help people think about cultivating their individual well-being as a method for optimizing their performance. And then, of course, do that at the team and the organizational level as well. Would you say there's a certain philosophy or perspective you practice from to be able to enhance that culture? I mean, I'm heavily informed by acceptance and commitment therapy. That's what my training is in and sort of my background around how I think about health and high performance. But the things that I'm kind of constantly thinking about from sort of a foundations of well-being perspective are things like self-awareness. How do we help people learn more about themselves and how they're seen by others? Resilience. How do people respond and bounce back from setbacks? Stress management. How do people cope with you know short-term, long-term pressure? Um, mental skills, how do people put themselves in a position to feel and perform well? Uh, relationships, so you know, how do people understand the impact that their social circles have on them and who's supporting them or who's not supporting them? Infusing play into what they do. So play is a core principle and the idea that it's sort of self-directed and self-guided and life should have, you know, essentially should have some fun. Um, those are all sort of the things I'm, I'm sort of thinking about. And then rest and recovery would be the last one, which is sleep, meditation, yoga, right? The things that sort of recharge us consistently when we're dealing with managing performance over the long term. So very much a holistic approach in terms of how we look at a person more so than not just the performance itself, but again, how those relationships are built on and off the court or how play aspect in terms of how we treat ourselves in that self-care part is so important. 100%. Yeah, I think we, we're really focused on the whole person and whole performer. Um, 
because it's just impossible to only focus on one without the other, right? So, you, you know, what what happens on the court impacts how players feel off the court and vice versa. Would you say, I know you said you've been involved with the Toronto Raptors for the past three and a half years and in other systems there prior to. What would you say are some of the big shifts or changes you've seen in mental health or well-being within the sport community? I think we're just talking about it a lot more than we were, um, you know, five or 10 years ago. Every year, it seems like there's two or three really high-profile elite athletes coming out and talking about their well-being and mental health generally. And that certainly started in some ways in the NBA um, with players like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan. And now you're seeing Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and Michael Phelps, you know, was around for a while talking about it too. And the messaging just kind of keeps coming out and keeps coming out. And it's becoming clear that it's an important part of understanding not only on-floor performance, but understanding like how elite athletes are doing what they're doing day in and day out. Um, and so I, I think the conversation is moving toward being a bit more normal, um, in terms of managing mental health and, and talking about it openly. We've still got some work to go to reduce the stigma, but we're, we're definitely starting to see it become part and parcel of the daily life in the NBA. And what would you say is one of the biggest things you like to see change moving forward in terms of changing that stigma and like I said, changing that conversation more? I guess I'd like to get past to the point where people view mental health as some sort of limitation or something that's wrong or a problem that needs to be fixed and can move toward a place of thinking about a more like physical health, right? So when a player uh, hurts an ankle or a knee, we don't just write them off and act like they don't have a future, right? We just do treatment. We, we work to fix it. Um, I'd love to see that be the case for mental health too. Yeah. I know uh, in season one, we had a player from the Canadian League Basketball League with us and he talked about during injury one of the most helpful parts was still being connected to the team and, and not being sent back home still being kind of around the team around the coaching staff and that actually helped with the physical side of the part because again he was able to take care of the mental side as well yeah i think i mean obviously connection and social support is a huge part of all of our well-being and so to be involved in a team in that way i think one kudos to that team for keeping them involved right you know some teams would have sent someone home and so that's that's obviously really nice but yes i think what you're touching on is super important right it's this idea that the physical impacts the mental the mental impacts the physical they're pretty inextricably linked and so the more we can tie them together and, and think about it holistically the better we're going to be the better our team's going to be the better our players are going to be and ultimately the better the performance is going to be i can imagine too throughout COVID. We've seen so many different changes in terms of, you know, the NBA and all sports in general, especially when the NBA had the bubble. I can imagine that aspect of community and connection and mental health was talked about so much during the bubble as well. Yeah, I mean, the bubble was obviously an incredibly unique and stressful kind of context to think about people being removed from their families, being isolated for extended periods of time in a hotel room. And certainly it wasn't unique to the NBA, right? I mean, a lot of people went through isolation and limited social exposure and social support during that time and i think that's one of the the big things we all learned kind of culturally right is just how important social connection is how important it is to be able to see people from within six feet or two meters right and be able to interact and, and spend time together and it was challenging i think for many of the people in the bubble to manage that for the 10 to 14 days that people were in because it, it's a shock right to go from being able to see people every day and interact and move freely around your own space to now 
being in a hotel room where you've got, you know, 300 square feet of space and you can't see anyone except Zoom. Um, and there's not all that much to do in hotel rooms um, to, to be managing that. It's, it's definitely, I think COVID has changed the conversation around mental health too, for sure. Was there much of a change or in terms of policy or programming during that period of time where we started to kind of have the conversation further around mental health within the NBA or across elite sport? I guess, you know, I, I wasn't in the NBA long enough before that to really know how big the changes were, but I can say there were definitely a lot of conversations about mental health and how we support people during that time. The league has done an incredible job. Um really advocating for players' mental health and constantly having it at the forefront of discussion, even while we're dealing with the very real physical health concerns of COVID. Um, and so that I thought was was really cool and kind of a testament to the NBA, right, to be thinking about that and not just focused only on, um, you know, getting vaccinated and all these other things, but to be focused on making sure players feel well, have the resources they need to perform well. Um, you know, it created some really cool opportunities to do some unique programming things. Um, and the NBA, I think, has has done a remarkable job kind of keeping mental health top of mind and continuing to evolve the program that they've built. And just even in the last decade, from an outside perspective, seeing how the NBA has been supportive of players in terms of using their voices, using their platform, and that empowerment piece. I can imagine how that helps an individual even off the court to feel, okay, my voice is able to be heard. I'm allowed to speak my voice and feel safe about that as well because the safety is often one of the biggest parts that shatters stigma. If we don't feel safe, we're not going to be able to speak about it. But being able to feel safe to talk about social justice concerns and problems has helped NBA players feel more comfortable, I imagine. Yeah, I think there's a huge, obviously, trust and vulnerability and safety sort of all circled together, right? But there's been a real... I think, honest examination from the NBA around how important it is for the players to be able to have a voice, to be able to speak up, to be able to advocate, not only for their own well-being, but for the well-being of their own communities, um, the places that they come from, the people who look up to NBA players, right? Like, this is a real opportunity um, for the NBA to be a leader, and, and they've done really well with that and taken full advantage of it for the better, um, and so I think it's it's really, you know, been cool to see how much the league has moved toward empowering players um, because ultimately they're the ones on the floor, right? They're the ones that are doing the hard work. They're the ones out there competing every other night. And so they sh absolutely should have a voice, right? They should have a platform to speak up and share what they think um, and be supported in, in doing that because it helps them perform better, helps them feel better, but it also makes the kind of community in the world surrounding the NBA more inclusive, more dynamic, safer, welcoming, all the things that we want from a sporting environment. And so far in your career as a sports psychologist, has there been a moment that's really stood out for you in terms of I always stick with you or that so far has been one that you reflect on as the, you know, the peak so far in your career? I can't identify one specific moment that I would say is the peak. I've, I've been really fortunate to have a couple really cool moments um, and some are small and some are a little bigger but you know I've had moments where players um, look at you in the middle of a competition and sort of acknowledge that they're doing what you've talked about I've had um, you know at one point there was a, a team I was working with um, at the university level where I had a player ask me to um, you know pray with them pregame on a sideline and that was kind of unique. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person, but to be welcomed into someone's 
like inner world like that, I thought was really pretty powerful. Um, and it's just been incredible to build relationships with um, players who are working on so many different things that are important to them, who are you know working hard to be the best that they can be. I'm lucky to be surrounded by that group of people and be inspired by that work ethic and to be welcomed into these cool spaces and cool moments. And uh, I hope it continues because those are the things that um, really make the work that we do worth it. For sure. So be able to feel that trust and that rapport building and also for athletes to feel safe, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, to say that reassurance of, hey, you know, I'm using those tools or skills that have been taught. I'm, you know, allowing yourself into this circle that's not always safe for people to be welcomed into. But again, having that experience, I can imagine, like I said, fuels the knowledge of, hey, you're in the right place, you're where you belong. Yeah, exactly. Those are those are some of the moments where you're reminded of how powerful this work can be, how cool it can be to do it, um, and how fortunate we are to be trusted with that, right? Um, and be, be welcomed in. It, it really takes a special person to uh, want to work on their mental health, to want to get helped. And, and um, you know, we're seeing more and more people seek that out, which is amazing. And I hope more and more practitioners get to have experiences just like that. In the similar kind of idea, Alex, what would you say is one tool or technique that you think all counselors should have in their bag when working with elite athletes? Oh gosh, that's a hard one. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think the things I think about a lot are, you know, mindfulness skills, right? So I, we just know mindfulness is super important, both as a precursor to flow in sport, but also as a way to self-regulate and self-monitor. Um, so I would, I would say mindfulness is an important tool to have. I, I think really, um, tools around self-regulation are pretty critical. So helping people work on managing and directing their thinking, feeling, physiology, attention. You know, I think those are, they're all critical. Obviously I've got my own bias toward acceptance and commitment therapy principles. So I think those are, are great tools to have that I think really resonate for elite athletes. Um, but there's no, there's no one size fits all. Um, and so I wish I could say, yeah, everyone should have this one thing, but I, I just sort of believe you got to meet people where they are and do the best you can with what you have to give them what they need. But I think mindfulness is sort of a foundational principle that I would say applies for most performers at this stage. I won't lie. I'm a little bit happy. You kind of went from mindfulness. It tends to be my kind of, I call it the universal tool where it applies to most settings. So I'm a little bit biased on that, but I'm kind of glad that that did come up. I'm glad I could validate you. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, I'm glad too. You talked about you know being able to meet the athletes with her too, because I'm sure some athletes aren't in the place where they're ready to talk about a certain topic or to even meet with someone to allow themselves to be vulnerable. But again, meeting them where they are. Any tips or advice for practitioners working with athletes in terms of meeting the athlete where they are or helping them become comfortable with those steps? I think the most important thing is to just be yourself. You know, I think um, in sports, there's always a little bit of pressure to kind of conform to the team norms or conform to what a coach needs or management needs or leadership needs. And those are certainly things to listen to, but ultimately, you know, you need to stay really grounded in who you are and what you know and what you value and what's most important to you. And what I've found is that if you're authentic, people gravitate toward that regardless of what your role is. And so the more you can just be, be yourself um, and be open, be accessible, the easier it is for people to kind of experiment and get to know you. I mean, sport is a place that's, often high pressure, high stakes, high consequences. And so, you know, the more you can be an open, trusted source where, you know, you're sort of seen as, as a resource and not biased one way or the other, the better you can be. And that all starts with just being being yourself. Because again, people are going to pick up pretty quickly if 
you're there for the right reasons or if you're genuine in your approach as well. 100%. Yeah, people can sniff that out, especially athletes. <laughs> they have, have a pretty unique ability to be able to sniff out stuff that's not so authentic. One thing I want to make sure we have some time to talk about there as well is your own podcast, Unfair Advantage. This is a new podcast that you've created. Yeah, we've been going about a year. Um, it's kind of a combined newsletter podcast, um, really focused on coach well-being. I think that's where we're where we're headed um, and where we've spent a lot of our time is, you know, helping coaches think of themselves as performers, promoting the health and well, high performance of coaching and the coaching community as a mechanism for making sport a happier, healthier place. And how did the idea about the integration of coaching meets psychology come in in terms of being able to talk about, or like I said, to develop the podcast newsletter? Yeah, so my friend Cody Royal and I um, were waxing poetic for a while around, around coach well-being. And Cody is a former national team head coach who now coaches elite head coaches across several sports and written a couple books, super dynamic thinker, um, and very focused on making the coaching community as robust as possible. And so we started to obviously talk about where our work overlaps and psychology has a big bend on coaching the coaches. And so there's this real unique intersection and we just kept talking about it and kept talking about it and kept talking about it. And then all of a sudden I was like, there's, there's something here. Like people are responding well to this. This is something people are interested in. This is something more coaches are becoming interested in. Um, and I think we both felt a little bit of almost like a responsibility to, to bring this more into the forefront of the conversation because there's a ton of conversation about athlete mental health and rightfully so. Um, but coaches are, are in it too, right? Coaches are on the plane traveling. Coaches are working hard. Coaches' um, careers are made and lost um, by wins and losses. And those things are really, really stressful. And so how do we help coaches perform well, be the best version of themselves? I mean, we just couldn't stop talking about it. The podcast and newsletter were born. And people can find the podcast and newsletter on your website and also on any place where they can find podcasts, I would assume. Yep. And uh, joinunfairadvantage.com will get you everything you need. Yeah. Perfect. And we'll attach the information there in the link there as well. Awesome. Thank you. In terms of, you know, that mindset in terms of, you know, psychology and well-being of coaches, would you say that there is anything that's majorly different in terms of working with coaches compared to working with athletes? I think coaches are just a little further behind in the mental health journey right now. Coaching is a field, right? So athletes have, have been given all these resources. There's been so much time and attention put into optimizing the athlete, right? Strength and conditioning, athletic training, nutrition, psychology, and the college level academic resources, right? And coaches, um, you know, have sort of been leading the charge to make those things happen. And in the process, also left that stuff by the wayside for themselves, right? So many coaches don't think about their own exercise or nutrition or social support, right? And so I think the foundational elements of well-being is where we're really focused. And then I think how that extends is to thinking about really organizational well-being, right? Coaches are often the architect of the culture, but they're also strongly impacted by the forces of the organization, funding, expectations, ownership, right? All these things play a huge part of the coach's experience. So I think right now we're really focused squarely on the foundations of well-being, right? Sleep, nutrition, hydration, exercise, and then moving into managing organizational stressors. Athletes, I think, have some of that naturally baked in, so it's kind of a little different. Um, but coaches, we're not quite to the optimizing phase yet. We're hopefully getting closer, but we're not quite there yet. And that's probably too, like I said, you know, 
the timelines have been a little bit different. So again, it's going to take time, not different than it did. If we went back to 10, maybe 15 years ago, but probably even closer to 10 mark, the conversation around mental health with athletes was very brief, if at all, it kind of existed. So again, being able to understand that, you know, we, we understand the coaching part is going to take time as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, none of these things happen overnight, right? So it's just it's going to take concerted effort and conversation and coaches continuing to speak out about it. I mean, we have had a few coaches talk about stepping away due to burnout or the demands of travel or an NBA schedule. Like all those things are, are hugely important for coaches to be thinking about talking about. And um, I hope we continue to hear more coaches feel comfortable speaking up so that we can start to address some of the kind of systemic issues around sustaining high performance for coaches. And what would you say would be advice you would give young athlete, an aspiring coach, or even a sports psychologist who's interested in getting involved in a mental health and sport field? Yeah, I mean, I think the first step is to just learn as much as you can, right? So if you're a coach or an athlete, like lean in, right? Learn, learn about what mental health is, how it impacts you, um, how ubiquitous it is, right? Mental health is not like a one in five people struggle, but it's a five in five people have mental health. Um, and so we need to be talking about that. So I think education is just hugely important. Um, I'd say like, if you're up for it, right, take a risk and try, right? Go to a session, um, reach out and schedule an appointment with a psychologist or a counselor or someone that can like help you and see how that experience is, is for you. Um, because I think most people find it valuable to have kind of an unbiased observer relationship that's here to sort of support, coach, guide, lead, um, help you. That, that I think could be really valuable for aspiring sports psychologists. Um, yeah, I think it's just continue to kind of monitor where sport is heading, right? We're becoming a more integrated place. We're talking about mental health more. Um, the days of being sort of in your office, providing one-on-one -on -one services are kind of going by the wayside. It's becoming more of a position where, you know, I'm not, I, you don't see me on the court side, but there are practitioners you see court side. Um, you know, and, and I think that's a sign of how much progress we've made and where the field is heading. And so, um, you know, it's kind of constantly evolving and there's always more to learn, but I'd say lean in. And that's so true. I can imagine too, most athletes would probably feel more comfortable talking to a practitioner court cell outside of practice locker room compared to coming in one-on-one -on -one in the office. Yeah. I think what you find is, you know, it's the more you can be where the players are right the more you're kind of in the ecosystem the more it's seen as normal and part of the the experience and then the more accessible it is which is what we're all after and in terms of as you progress through your career as a sports psychologist would you say there's something or one thing on your bucket list that you would like to see either for your career or see even in the culture of mental health and sports yeah, I mean, what I'd love to see is for every team to have a full-time sports psychologist. You know, I think that's, I'm not here to tell every team how to do it, but, you know, I think having that resource full-time, thinking about it the same way you think of your physical health resources, that's what I'd love to see. Um, if that happens during my career, I'll be pl plenty happy. That's enough of a victory for me. So true, because again, we're having athletes speak out and we know the need is there. We know the data and even i would go on a limb to say even the data we do know is an understatement of how much need is out there in terms of having mental health supports for athletes 100%. coaches and organizations 100 percent, absolutely right yeah it's a area of woeful underreporting. um so i don't think we've really come close to to scratching the surface of what's here
one question we always like to ask here at Corsell Wellness as uh, probably one of my favorite questions is, in your opinion, what would you say makes a well athlete? That's a really tough one. I, I guess to me, what makes a well athlete is someone who's taking care of the basics, right? So resting, recovering, sleep, nutrition, hydration, and then takes that one step further and now takes care of their mind, right? So you, you can't you can't be well without taking care of your brain health, mind health, whatever you want to call it. So I think to me, it's those kind of foundational pillars will put you in a position to, to be well, to be a well athlete. Um, I don't think you can be as well as we would, as I would consider like a well athlete without any one of those. Yeah. So again, going back to that holistic approach in terms of taking care of all the, all the areas, beginning going back to the basics, which are so true. Yeah. I just don't, I mean, I obviously I have a bias toward the brain health and the mind health, right. Um, given my background, but I think ultimately there's just so much of it is also intertwined with physical health, with what we eat, with how we sleep, that it's hard to neatly tease apart. And so I think you need everything. Can't disagree with you on that one at all. And again, Alex, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Corsa wellness. It's been an honor and I'm sure, like I said, you know, as the conversation grows, we can reach to shattering the stigma of mental health in the sport community. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for what you're doing to kind of spread awareness and talk about this. I, I love the podcast. I think it's great. It was an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Folks, if you enjoyed today's episode and want to check out other episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple, Audible, and Podbean. You can also follow us on social media at Wellness Athletic Services on Facebook and Instagram. If you have any questions or ideas for the show, feel free to email us at wellnessathleticservices at gmail.com. Thank you and stay well. Mm-hmm.